watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Lart, and today we're going to bring you three movies. Kong, Skull Island, The Last Word, and Donald Cried. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge it being the highest rating. Consumer moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Uh, Jason, uh, coming off of last week, um, mm. got some feedback about that episode. Oh. Yeah, I think it uh, I think it made people feel like mommy and daddy were fighting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, you know, as we did post that exclusive footage of it uh, on, on Facebook. We did. Yes, yes, that was, you know, I feel like the award season that we have just concluded... Couldn't have ended any other way. No, but in a but in a really intense fight. Yeah, I feel the scars are finally starting to blend in. Mm-hmm. I've did, uh, my voice has just returned from that high pitched shriek that I let out about midway through it. <laughs> so I'm glad that it's uh, that we're now getting ready to get back in the saddle. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna fight tooth and nail by Kong. I'm sure. <laughs> You're like, let me just save you the time. It's not moonlight. It's not worth your time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, We're ready. We're ready. Yeah, we have some movies this week. Um, anything else going on in, in the world of Jason? Uh, yeah, actually. So last night I did um, a guest recording session for a friend's podcast oh. uh, called The Karen and Ellen Letters. So this is a thing that goes back in one in um, in a certain friend group uh, of mine. It goes back years. A friend of mine, Josh, many years back, randomly had this stack of letters this correspondence that just sort of fell into his lap and it's a series of letters back and forth over the course of several years between these two young tenants karen and ellen who are 18 19 year old girls who moved into this apartment in oakland what and their landlord mark their long-suffering old queen landlord and these letters are the most mind-blowingly ridiculous thing and they are so many of them. Josh has presented them in a number of ways over the years. He has um, he's done staged readings of them. Really? He has posted them online in their entirety, only to have, I believe, the real Karen and Ellen <laughs> do a cease and desist and tell me to take them down. <laughs> um, it used to just be something that we would get drunk and read to each other at parties. Um, and now he is doing a podcast um, where he is doing um, each episode. Um, he does two different ways. One is just a standalone reading. He's actually hired actors to play <laughs> each of the people who play a role in this. And so one episode will just be the letters back and forth. They're, of course, in chronological order. And then in the next one, he has people come on as guests and then sort of like they respond after each individual letter. They just all like talk together to react to like the overall insanity of it. Um, so uh, So I got to be part of that last night. And it was delightful. I may have made too many AIDS jokes. I'm just going to throw that out there. So, but uh, So wait, so the letters, that's the correspondence both ways from Mark to them yes. and them. And who, how did he get the letter? Did he get them from Mark or did he get them? He has not. He's always been cagey about that, how he got mm. them. But he has verified them and he has spoken to Mark directly. Wow. And, um, and it's basically, it all starts off with a sense that like Karen and Ellen don't know the difference between a parent and a, and a landlord. <laughs> and so like basically their, their initial correspondence is them being like, hey, so I went and bought um, a bunch of stuff for the apartment. I'll just go ahead and take that off my rent. 
and and him running back like um no you can't do that and then like them never really letting it go they're like okay so currently you owe us about ninety two hundred dollars um so like for couches and stuff yeah like and there's like oh and also you know I'm gonna have a shaman come in and sort of cleanse the place of its of its dark energy that's about seven hundred I'll take that off next month's rent. Uh, and oh just my God. these these insane and and they just keep thinking they have room to haggle with him, but they have no room to haggle with him, and they don't <laughs> and they're th- they're thinking like it's apparent where they're like okay I know I don't I know I can't ask you to pay for everything I know with a landlord like you have to go like half or something so I get that I will pay for at least half of the things that I'm buying and say like, no you have to pay for all the things they're like I'm pretty sure that's not the way this works Mark and they're like no no it is and uh-huh. and, it, and, it, and the, these letters. Um, like literal actual letters sent in the mail back and forth from Mark to these girls. And there's letters from Karen. There's letters from Ellen. There's letters from Mark. Other players in their lives come into it. And it is it is a saga. How long? What's uh, What years? Um, it went from like 87 to 89, I believe. Oh my God, this is awesome. It is a remarkable thing. How many um, letters do you think there are? Well, there, uh, there's over 100. Wow. Um, and uh, so uh, so it's still in the early phases of this podcast. I believe I'm going to be on the fifth episode. What's uh, it called? It's called The Karen and Ellen Letters. And we can find it on iTunes? You can find it on all the podcast places. I'm um, like, I'm going to stop recording this one so I can subscribe <laughs> to that one. What's it called again? The Karen and okay. Ellen Letters. Perfect. Uh, it is, yeah. It's really, when you're listening to it, it's it's just, you you will many times think this can't be real. They couldn't possibly think that. Um, like there's like just one thing comes to mind as an example. Like oh, there's, found it. Oh, there you go. Subscribed. Um, uh, there's one overture where, uh, where, uh, one of the girls is being like, Hey, it's recently my dear Mark. It's recently when my attention when talking to other tenants of yours that you supply them with firewood. I would like some firewood too. Please bring me the firewood the same way you do for them. Thank you, Karen or whatever. And then he writes back. He's like, dear Karen, I do provide the other tenants with firewood because they have fireplaces. <laughs> there is not a fireplace in your unit. And so I will not be providing you with firewood. Sincerely, Mark. Oh, wow. Um, and then, but they'd never take that as an answer. They're like, they're, they're like, well, still, if you're giving firewood out, I would like some. I mean, that's kind of fair. <laughs> That's I can't wait. I don't want to do this podcast anymore. I just want to listen to that one. You, just, you hush up. I'm going to play this with my phone onto the mic. Be a deer. Be quiet. Um, so anyway, that's what's up with me. It was a it was a treat to get to uh, to do that with some some old friends. Uh, Rebecca, what's up with you? Wow, nothing at all compared to that. Nothing. Um, me and my old roommate heard that there's a podcast about our letters somewhere, and I am <laughs> fucking living, frankly. <laughs> I'll be getting my lawyer um, to provide another cease and desist. I've gone and put my foot in it again. Um, well, you um, you participated in the International Women's Day I protest, I believe. Yeah, it was a nice uh, protest down at uh, Justin Herman Plaza in San Francisco. And then proceeded by um, a march uh, to protest uh, the ice raids. Yes. Um, no walls, no nations. Stop the deportations. Only sugar walls. Only sh- What's that? Vagina. Oh. Okay. I think there's that song Sugar Walls by who is it by Tracy Chapman? <laughs> by Kathy Dennis, I think. But anyway, yes, no walls, no deportation, no ban. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was great. It felt nice to be around, uh, you know, like-minded people. And uh, how was the crowd? Uh, it was a little thin. 
frankly. Yeah. He was a little thin. Uh, I think you know a lot of people I talked to didn't know what was going on, so there was a bit of a messaging issue. Who are these people um, who didn't know what was going on? A lot, like a lot of people who would have gone. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah, so hopefully there's... Women organizing things. Stop. <laughs> nope. Uh, I mean, they organized a fantastic one yes, after the inauguration. They did. Uh, I saw that you uh, you amended Heidi's uh, skateboard to make it a protest board. Yeah, I think uh, you know if you have time to shred, you have time to uh... <laughs> <laughs> time to uh, mend. I'm like there should be some time sort to of shred. Time to... time to shred. You have time to shred the shackles of patriarchy. Ooh, you have time to red the country of oppression. Yeah. Is that? Would that be more no, red? Red. Yeah. Well, um, help us out, guys. If you if, can think of any if you word, you can complete. If you have time to shred, you have time to blank. Please help us please, out. Please. Hit we us up. can't do it. No, we're at a loss. Um, it's hard to be part of a protest when you um, are incapable of chanting. You're not capable of I'm, chanting. I can't chant. Why? It's just I'm not a chanter. So you mean you have like a mental block? Yes. It's not like your vocal cords seize up and you know when no, you start to raise like a, your voice. No, it's just like a mental block. Mm. You know, I clap in uh, unison with the chants, but I can't chant. Do you like shake your fist? Uh, no. So you're you're very inhibited, is what you're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, most even, most times, even but... those really fun ones, like this is what democracy looks like. This is what democracy. No, nothing. You're no. like you're like I'm embarrassed for you right now. You're I'm saying. really. <laughs> it was painful. <laughs> I also went to an open mic night at work, which was usually <laughs> open mic night at work. Yeah, I mean, it's I didn't perform. Go together. Um, but it was uh, it's, it's nice to see people who aren't afraid of things go do them. This uh, one guy really played an awesome. Uh, he played the sax to Careless Whisper, and it was amazing. Oh, it was really, really good. Um, that sounds fun. Yeah, uh, unexpected surprise. So yeah, my my what's up with you is uh, kind of a snooze fest this is week. Is you going and observing things? Yes, <laughs> and thinking, not for me, but nope. I appreciate this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's not for fair. me, but go you. Right, right. Um. So this movie or this week, we also have no picks of the week. Nope. Um, but we do have three movies, <laughs> nonetheless. <laughs> uh, the first of which is Kong Skull Island. A team of explorers and soldiers travel to an uncharted island in the Pacific, unaware that they are crossing to the domain of monsters, including the mythic Kong. You don't go into someone's house unless you're picking a fight. looking at is a monster from some bygone era. It's trying to show that man is king. So Kong Skull Island. Um, Kong's been around for a while it's a mm-hmm. tale as old as 1933 um do you was this a fresh take it is a fresh take yeah um it it, it doesn't do the things that the kong store usually does uh, at no point is there a damsel in distress type character in a white dress chain mm-hmm. between two pillars being circled by natives um kong is never taken off the island to new york and mm-hmm. then put on display and then climbs the empire state building these things don't happen in the story uh it really is a different take on it 
Uh, it's set uh, in the final days of the Vietnam War. Oh, first of all, interesting. Um, and uh, and that's kind of what the movie is doing. In its there's there's sort of a political commentary in this movie that I found interesting um, because this idea of sovereignty mm-hmm. and this idea mm. of of respecting sovereignty of respecting like indigenous populations. <laughs> Um, both of them kind of dovetail here, um, because, uh, you know, the Vietnam War, of course, was not our conflict mm-hmm, and we sort mm-hmm. of, in, you know, just took it upon ourselves to go. And... I mean, I don't know about that. We are going to start fighting already because we belonged <laughs> in Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, you know, so we have here, um, some of the characters in this, the military, um, P, uh, characters who are all under the, the leadership of Samuel L. Jackson's character. Um, you know, they've made it to the end of Vietnam and, um, you know, and they're feeling like, okay, well, good, it's almost over. And, you know, we've kind of gotten out of it. And, you know, and, and even though it was maybe not great that we were there in the first place. And now they're sent on this mission that to their understanding and to our understanding at first in the audience is sort of a, 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 geo, a, a geographic expedition to... Uh, visit the, the the final uncharted land in all the world, and it's uncharted because it is um, it's encircled by a raging storm on all sides. It's mm-hmm. really difficult to get through. Um, but uh, but John Goodman um, plays this guy who's like supposed to be like a geographer who's who's like okay, well, just I need to get in there and we need to see this land. Uh, Brie Larson joins them as a, a war photographer or as or an anti-war photographer as she self-identifies. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Hiddleston is sort of like extra muscle um, to help to help the ge- sure. to help the geographers, and <laughs> um, like you do, and um, and so you know off they go. Uh, but then it turns out that the purpose of the mission is not geography. The purpose of the mission is that John Goodman and his colleagues are members of some sort of like black ops team that investigates living monsters. Sure. Like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. so far so good. Uh, geographical muscle, living monsters. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, and things go south immediately um, as soon as they land on the island because they start to drop these, I guess they're called sounders, um, that sort of like all, ex- you know, these things that they, they drop down from the helicopters that once they get through the storm and it makes all it, a series of explosions. Well, that sounds great. Yes. Um, and then uh, that turns out that was actually intended to rouse Kong. Um, and then Kong comes and then Kong is like, you know, think that the island is under attack. And so he starts to swat at all the, hel- the helicopters and a lot of the soldiers die. And now Samuel L. Jackson is hell bent on avenging these soldiers of his who he's lost senselessly, um, having gotten them through Vietnam only to have them be killed on this insane island expedition. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So there we have the overlap between the sort of like invading a sovereign area. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and then uh, being upset at why they're upset. Yes. Because you, uh, yeah. Yes. And mm-hmm. then uh, and then the other kind of commentary thing going on here, it seems like, is this idea of, of the danger of seeing everything in the terms of war, mm. in terms of good and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, because everything that happens in this movie is kind of... Uh, there's really no good or bad people. Uh, like everything that happens is just sort of like okay. So like John Goodman and his team are like they they want to explore and 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 discover this creature and to research it. 
Uh, and then, you know, the military guys just think they're doing their jobs. Everyone's basically just doing their job. Uh, and then, um, and classic then classic problem. And then things go wrong. And then Samuel L. Jackson sees it in terms of war. He's like, that is our enemy. And all mm-hmm. of the survivors mm-hmm. are like, that's not our enemy. Like, it's understandable why he reacted the way he did, mm-hmm. but Jackson only sees it as as he sees it through the lens of war, and um, and it, it, it so the whole thing seems like just there to illustrate the folly of that, the folly of looking at the world and looking at conflicts in simplistic good and bad war language. And Let me in, follow up with another philosophical question here: How big is Kong? Enormous. Okay, Kong is very large. This is the biggest Kong has ever looked. And the and the thing that I was not prepared for in this film is that Kong is but one of many insane gigantic monsters on this island. Um, ape monsters, or of all animal monsters, or uh, no, he's the only ape. Uh, there are a number of enormous, some sometimes grotesque, but always very imaginative monsters on this island, hmm. and they are bonkers. Like each, <laughs> there was never one that popped up that didn't make me go, "Oh my god!" <laughs> um, it was, it's, it's, it's delightful. Uh, it's really, it's a well, it's this movie is sort of a high-minded creature feature. Okay. Um, and you know, and even though it does have that sort of, you know, it seems like there's that political commentary going on, it is also just a pure kind of thrill ride blockbuster type movie. It's ready to be made into a, a roller coaster at like. A... MGM or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. just like that. Uh, I could see it. You know, like it, 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 it does feel like a ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, is it a 3D movie? Uh, yeah, I saw it in 3D IMAX. Cool. Uh, and it has this A plus cast, really outstanding. I thought you said A plus cast, A-plus. and I was <laughs> yeah. like, that seems pretty uh, contrary to what I thought. <laughs> uh, there's a giant monkey. <laughs> I don't know about any apes. <laughs> Uh, no, just this, you know, incredible cast, um, who certainly, uh, elevate the material with their sort of like commitment and intensity. And, uh, it's directed by Jordan Vote Roberts, who previously made The Kings of Summer. Mm-hmm. And then between that, he's just been growing a gigantic beard out. Enormous. And, um, Kong sized beard. And you, and I will, you know, point to this as another example of white dude makes indie is given keys to kingdom mm-hmm. uh, yeah. because he has, this is his first movie since the Kings of summer. Oh, wow. Um, That's he, the one with the, with the boys in, in, Cle- in, in Cleveland. Ohio, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, okay. Yeah. yeah. That was a very small movie. Yes. Um, and, uh, and now he made Kong. Wow. Um, so this is, and it's not, you know, not his fault, but I mean, it is emblematic yeah. of, of this thing that only seems to happen. He's chiseling. He's just, <laughs> he's not chiseling. <laughs> chiseling has been. Okay. 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 He's, he's, was, um, he's sorry, Colin, he's, he's Trevor-owing. He's Colin oh, yeah. trevor Um, and while, although one of the stars of Jurassic World was one of the boys from Kings of Summer. Oh yeah. Nick Robinson. I interviewed him. It was very strange. I did the press tour for Kings of Summer and it was me and these three underage teenage boys in a hotel room and it was very I felt like I was being watched. It was to catch a predator. It was never <laughs> it was, for an was, interview. There was, there was sweet tea on the table, and I don't know who brought it. <laughs> um, so why isn't this getting pick of the week? Um, you know, it was. it's damn close. It's damn close uh, to getting it. Um, it. Oh, there's also... So John C. Riley is in this movie, and he does not show up until around midway in. And he is delightful. I think somebody, I think Vulture today was writing about how this is like secretly a John C. Riley movie. Oh, really? The whole time. Um, and uh, and he's in it, and he is wonderful. 
Um, so, I mean, this movie, it has great, like, the excitement, the adventure, the adrenaline is all there. There's good humor. The effects, by and large, are very good. Um, you know, and it, you know, it's, it's the way that it, the scope of it is, um, it's both, you know, intimate in that it's only like the island basically, mm-hmm. uh, but also limitless because we have no idea how many more monsters there are and what they're capable of. You know, the damsel in distress thing, it, ha- it has a clever way of establishing a connection between Kong and Brie Larson's character. Mm-hmm. Um, and also eventually having a scene in which he, in which she is in his hand. Uh, but without having it be like, oh, okay, well, she, as a woman has, has, you know, her, her, her sex has led to her weakness. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's purely in keeping with sort of the rest of the movie, it's purely the sort of like ambiguous victim of circumstance type situation Mm -hmm. that could have happened to anyone. And it just happened to be her and he, you know, comes to the rescue. Um, but then things get even crazier after that happens. It's a lot of fun. Like this movie, it's it's interesting that they're putting it out in March. Yeah, it seems like it'd be a summer movie. Uh, yeah, it seems that way. Uh, it's really this is this is sort of a top tier um, all star creature feature. Uh, I had a a lot of fun watching it, uh, and it's very entertaining. I think it. Uh, I, I I I don't see it disappointing uh, many folks. So really, it's kind of like a, you know, it's not quite a full pick of the week. Um, I'm really haggling between um, binge minus and consume plus. Mm. Well, you got to make a call. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. You know, you know, let's be optimistic. I'll give it a binge minus. All right. It's a binge minus for Kong Skull Island. Uh, and it's rated PG-13 for intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action and for brief, strong language. And that brings us to movie number two, which is The Last Word. Harriet, a once successful businesswoman, works with a young journalist Anne to pen her obituary in advance. When the initial result doesn't meet Harriet's high expectations, she sets out to reshape the way she'll be remembered, dragging Anne along as an unwilling accomplice. What can I do for you, Miss Lawler? I request a formal introduction. Go with me. Are you firing me? You should be so lucky. Sherman, the thought of leaving my obituary to chance is completely unreasonable to me. Well, I am the obituary writer, so when the time comes, I will be writing her obituary. I want you to write it now. Huh. Here's the names of a few hundred people. So this is one Jason and I got to see together. Yay. Uh, which is probably the, one of the only ways I would recommend going to see this in the movie theater with um, a parent or a gay best friend. <laughs> Aw, that's nice. Yeah, I can think of you as a parent. <laughs> Uh, you didn't think I was calling you my best friend, did you? Let's <laughs> not be crazy. <laughs> Just because I spend more time with you than almost anybody else I know. No. Doesn't mean. No, I mean, well, I don't have to define. I don't like boxes. <laughs> um, yeah, so we went to go see this movie. Um, yeah, I found it to be um, a delight mm. in a way that a movie you see at home when you're sick is. When you're sick, I feel is like, a delight. I yeah. feel like you work so many movies back to like watching at home and you don't feel great. Do you spend a lot of time at home not feeling great? I have a very tender immune system. <laughs> you poor thing. Yeah. A sweet, sweet dear. Uh, yes, uh, this is that kind of movie. Uh, it is uh, just a shamelessly kind of feel good, mm-hmm. um, but prickly, uh, mm-hmm. but ultimately still very feel good mm-hmm. uh, movie. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a very, it's a Shirley MacLaine movie. Uh, that's really all you need to know. She's been playing variations on the same old buzzard since <laughs> Terms of Endearment. Um, and this is just the latest. 
you know, she is a, uh, she's an icon, a legend, taking nothing away from her, but she has kind of had the one speed for a pretty long mm-hmm. time now. And she's very good at it. Um, and she still plays it better than anyone. Yeah. Um, but this is more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she has played it recently. She played it in Bernie. Um, oh, that, right. With Jack Black. Uh, it's just what she does. I'm like, for some reason before that, my mind goes back to guarding Tess. I don't know. Oh, wow. <laughs> takes it, takes it. That was a, a while. A few years back. But uh, so, and you know, so she's doing her thing here. This is, this is very much a Shirley MacLaine vehicle. This is not a movie that would work really with, I think, anybody else in the lead. I, I, I have to imagine it was written for her. Right. I can't, I can't imagine. And this is the thing mm-hmm. that we've been seeing a lot of over the last few years, which is a great trend of these these vehicles for our great treasure actresses of a certain age. Like Grandma was for Lily Tomlin. Like Hello, My Name is Doris was for Sally Field. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'll See You in My Dreams was for Blythe Danner. Uh, so this is that for Ms. McLean. And she comes through. You know, she mm-hmm. gives you all you could ever hope and dream of from a Shirley MacLaine leading performance. What do you do? Do you agree? Yeah, I was I was left wanting nothing from her performance. Mm-hmm. Um, not not the same can be said for Amanda Seyfried, <sighs> who really uh, kind of any scene without Shirley MacLaine was was a real slog to get through, um, as and, you would say. And it was, and even her her bits with Shirley MacLaine, she very nearly tanked. Yeah, it was it was hard to watch. Guys, it's a strange performance. Uh, I don't know what Amanda Seyfried was really going for here, but she overplays the role in such spastic ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it makes no sense unless we're to think that like there's secretly some sort of like mental disorder the character is suffering from, and that was like in her personal character bio, yeah. and she didn't really clue us in on it entirely. I was convinced her character was supposed to be like a late teenager most <laughs> of the time, and then at one point at the end. She talks about the job she has as an obituary writer, and um, she's like, well, I've been here for seven years. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, what? Is she supposed to be almost 30? That's insane to me. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I, I, I was not as surprised by that because, you know, I, I assumed that she was playing her general age, which is, I think, 30-ish. Uh, but, you know, Amanda Seyfried is somebody who, like, I feel badly for her because I feel like now she's, she's one of those actresses who is not going to transition very well into full adult roles because she still does look so young. Mm-hmm. She looks so girlish. And with those huge eyes and you know her features in general, like she kind of has that Cupid doll look. And it's hard to be taken seriously as a grown-up actor mm-hmm. when you look like a doll. And her character was supposed to be kind of like, um, you know, like a non-conformist, this like artsy writer. And so she like, kind of does some things like she like puts her feet up on the desk when she's meeting somebody new, which just had a very like angsty teenager vibe to it. It didn't... <laughs> make any sense so what rebecca is saying is that this was yet another immature white female uh that she was not interested no room for <laughs> no room for that ain't no time life's too short for that mess it sure is it really is and uh so after before i fall last week here we are again <laughs> uh but no i mean and i i wouldn't have had any problem with the character i mean i enjoy like a salty journalist and uh, you know it seemed like it was I was like, okay, so she's so young. They're probably going to do some kind of jokes about like, oh, journalism is dying. And the best she could do was to get a job. If she wanted to work in print was to become the full-time obituary writer of this newspaper. Right. But they don't really even really make that joke. We just kind of take it as granted that like this is, it's almost like a rom-com job. It's like, okay, she's an obituary writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. 
But she's but she's funny. Yeah, but she really you know she puts her spin on all the bodies. Yeah, but she has she, life, even though she writes about death. Yeah, it is. Uh, and it's just you know. So again, the character to me was not a problem. But Mamana Seyfried is someone who I would say I've generally enjoyed. I mean, you know, I much respect, but she is terrible. <laughs> She's really bad. I was like, why? I, I feel like she was maybe trying to compensate for being on screen with Shirley MacLaine. Yeah, maybe. Um, but you know, like you know, just her line readings were just heated in a way that didn't need to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she did always seem like she had like a chip on her shoulder about something, but was never clear what that was exactly. Yeah, I mean, it just it was so it just seemed so immature. Um, and it's it she I don't know it didn't have any. The character was written strong. Like, there's a bit of a backstory. She has an interest. She's trying to become herself. Like, um, there's there was room to be like a relatable person there, and it was mm-hmm. and it was not at all. Yes, uh, another uh, poorly executed character mm-hmm. comes in the mm-hmm. form of a, of a young black girl uh, who exists entirely to be a prop. Yeah, and they sort of make jokes about it within the movie. There's like one joke about it, yeah. which, and I think you hear it in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> and the um, rest of the time, it is completely unexamined. Uh, so the the premise of this is that um, Shirley MacLaine is, has figured out this formula of uh, the perfect obituary, and you have a family reference that's glowing, you have your co-workers, uh, you have like community service, and then you have like a wild card. And so, right when she identifies that she needs this like community service, she she has some lines about how she needs to find like a young black person or somebody with a disability to mm-hmm. help, and how this will like really top off her obituary. And they just go ahead and do that. They just go to <laughs> an at-risk youth center. Like I thought it was going to be like a one-line joke about, how, right. they, but they went ahead and did the whole thing. And she finds a girl that. She can. She likes her moxie. They have a similar sense of um, what they think is right, and and she kind of takes her under her wing, and they they don't make any other comment about it. <laughs> they don't. And do you think maybe Jessica Williams saw this movie at Sundance, and that's why she was she so was ready to fight about- with Shirley MacLaine <laughs> in that instantly legendary article? Uh, because like yeah, she shows up, and she basically there's a scene of Shirley MacLaine on a chair with a bunch of young women of color sitting on the floor in front of her young girls of color. And she is just bestowing her like old rich white lady wisdom to them. And they're like, uh, like it's unchallenged. Uh, She's like, just don't, you know, don't be afraid to fail. And yeah, she makes these like empty, these platitudes, Mm -hmm. which I think, I think she might make a reference. I think she might make a joke after she's like, Oh, everyone loves a platitude or something like that. Mm -hmm. But she just like makes these platitudes to them. Um, and you know, and there's like, and there's like the, the adult African-American woman who oversees the, um, the nonprofit, uh, who just like is like great? This, this is fantastic. Um, and like, can we get some money too? Like, it, you know, it's 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 a tough showing. And this young girl, um, whose name is Brenda, I believe, the mm-hmm. character. Um, this actress is also not great. I feel like she and Amanda Seyfried. I don't know if this is something the director was having them do. Like, no, play it bigger. <laughs> um, but she plays her character with such like net cranking relish. That you like, you see her winding it up while the other person is talking before just to get ready for her line. She's playing to the back of the house. She really is, and um, and they and they basically just take her. So they go yeah. on, they go on a series of like road trips and expeditions and all these like outings to, you know, make sure this ritual white lady leaves behind a nice obituary. 
And this little black girl is just with them. Just goes. There's like one fleeting reference to like, oh, we asked the parents or something. And that's it. That's it. She's just there in the backseat of the car with Never these two school. white ladies. No. <laughs> uh, you know. Like, and, we're just going to use you now for this uh, this obituary purpose. And Oh, yeah. And she also, sure, McLean denigrates the idea of at-risk use. She's like, what's at risk about you? What youth isn't at risk? All life is risk. Oh, or God. something like that. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. That's a that's a black eye in the movie. Yeah, for sure. That was um yeah it was it was tough uh, to get past that. Um, but you know on the writer side, there is Thomas Sadowski, uh, <laughs> formerly of the newsroom, um, and now Amanda Seyfried's soon to be baby daddy. Uh, I believe they met in the set of this movie, and now they are very much in love and expecting a child. When I first read about that, I was like, but he's gross. And then I saw him in this movie and I was like, he is a sex god. <laughs> when did that happen? When he did that happen? He really did turn it around. Um, and uh, and they have a very they have a very genuine chemistry, which is good uh, in the yeah. film. <laughs> and they have one of there's like maybe two scenes that I felt were really kind of nice and magical to watch um, that are largely wordless and involve music. Because part of, so the wild card that ends up coming into play is that um, Harriet, Sherman McLean's character, really loves music and she misses the days of radio when disc jockeys actually like played the songs they wanted to play and it wasn't computerized. Mm-hmm. And Man Cypher is all too excited to tell her about like a KCRW type station where she's like, oh no, that exists. And um, which leads to a one wildly both overplayed and overwritten scene in which Amanda Seyfried opens up a cabinet in Harriet's home and finds oh, like yeah. a stack of looks like to be 10 like 10 records. And she's like, Whoa! Yeah. Harriet, are you kidding me with all these records? Why did you tell them? It's literally, it's like 10 records like ricketing around inside a little cabinet. And Harriet's like, oh, well, what can I say? I love music. And it's like, this is, how are if you? If it was like a room of records, it was really a, yeah. a large gap. It's, it's a single cabinet. It's like she slides open a little door in a cabinet and there's like a little stack of records and she like basically has an aneurysm <laughs> um, at like the thought of being able to comprehend this many records. Um, so there's... And, so and they're the, all just like, the ones you she picks out are just like typical old lady records. Yeah. It's like stuff from the 50s. That yeah, she, yeah, she's like, oh my God, Harriet, like... She, even, she just has the like decades. Nina Simone? She's like 50s, 60s, 70s? <laughs> And today, it's like it's like it's really not hard to have records. Like, have you been to any fucking like Goodwill? Like any Goodwill <laughs> any is, estate is, sale. is lousy with records from all the decades. <laughs> um, original pressings too. There were a lot of records. No one really cares about anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, as many as there are that people do care about very much, such as myself and my Discogs habit, which will send me to the poorhouse sooner than later. I think. Yeah, but just, we're swimming in records. We really right are. I'm like, this they're is a lot of records. Thank you very much. They're starting to creep on on the podcast. They, they are. Uh, yeah, equipment. they're, they're going to be on the table pretty soon. I have to move them. Yeah. It's going to be one of those hoarder houses. Just get ready because I, I value the records over the podcast. I'm just going to say that now. Wow. Uh, I'm kidding. I don't. But mm-hmm. I would like to have both. It's kind of like you know. If I had to choose between thirty rocks and park, thirty rock and park and rack, for instance, like mm-hmm. I would like to have both. I would like to have the records. Yeah, you want podcast. all of the things. I want all of the things. The hoarder mentality. Typical me. Um, so, anyway, so this is all leading into uh, this sort of amusing interlude where Harriet ends up sort of trying to like get into the DJ life, um, which reminded us of our our dear our dear uh, friend Mima, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. another great elderly female DJ, <laughs> and uh, and so uh, but there's yeah there's a scene where Amanda Seyfried and Thomas Sadowski first kind of meet and it's just happening the backdrop while Shirley McLean's playing music. Mm-hmm. There's also there's sort of a big final scene 
um, that is largely wordless and is just music, and uh, that I thought was very effective. Mm-hmm. You know, this movie knows how to how to hitch in the feels here and there, mm-hmm. um, and uh, but it's also just really manipulative <laughs> and kind of. I mean, so are the characters, and yeah, and and very contrived, and uh, you know, it's just one of those like bucket list type movies. Mm-hmm. We did have a lot of uh, we did have a lot of out loud laughs. We did, yeah, in the first half in particular. Yeah, it really. Yes, there's a great montage of Amanda Seyfried when she first goes around and talks to all the people who Harriet told her to talk to and just all the horrifying stories they tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a credit to the actors as well, um, including Sarah Baker, who's very funny. But uh, so, yeah, it's 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 enjoyable. Um, but, yeah, it just has some some blind spots that are a little troubling and uh, and some performances that are severely misguided. And one of your favorite actresses, Anne Heche, is in the movie. Anne Heche is in the movie. Bless her. Did you love it? Oh, she's so good. She's just so good. Uh, you know, like, I, I I, I, don't know how her life would have been different if she had never, you know, left Ellen. Uh, because I feel like she, when, when you break up with somebody, you don't anticipate them becoming the world's most powerful lesbian. I mean, I do. <laughs> I anticipate that. Um, that's why I'm keeping this podcast going. <laughs> don't but, leave. <laughs> <laughs> this is my becoming. <laughs> uh, but uh, but Anne Heche has always been, uh, to me, a severely underrated actress. I think she's so good at suggesting the sort of complicated inner lives of her characters. I love all her little nervous tics, and mm-hmm. I love her sort of brittle voice. And I oh, can't get enough of it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she and she has a single scene, which is a bummer. Um, yeah. But uh, but she brings quite a bit of pathos to her one scene. She really is a woman on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> a woman on the edge of my heart but she will never fall off she will always live there uh what are you going to give this movie jason um this is a solid consume for me same same yeah. uh it's not i would never recommend seeing this in the theater unless you are you are your parents are in town right and yeah. you have to go see something um kind of <sighs> chill yes but even then like mortality looms large in this movie that's true that uh, is true. so it so is, if they're if yeah, you're not recently, like a super elderly or sick parent yeah no right. grandparents yeah any absolutely if, not if, you've, if there's been a recent loss yeah don't see it with grandparents which you'll be tempted to do but don't if there's been a recent loss probably not no wait um and you know and shirley mclean's character isn't even you know she's not even uh especially she's not feeble at all no she's very very able yeah um so uh but yeah but with that all said it it, it is to use rebecca's earlier suggestion a fine homesick movie it really is it's on the long long list a little vulnerable because you aren't feeling well uh you will probably lose your shit just gonna say yeah um and it's uh, it's just rated r for language nothing too crazy yeah uh and that brings us to our last movie of the week which is donald cried which we all thought was about just a video of donald trump crying but it is not uh, um if only. if only right it is about a man child named donald that is true um okay peter left working class warwick rhode island to reinvent himself as a slick wall street honcho Fifteen years later, when he's forced to return home to bury his grandmother, he loses his wallet on the trip. Stranded, the only person he can think of to help him out is Donald, his neighbor and former childhood friend. Donald hasn't changed a bit, and what starts as a simple favor turns into a long van ride into the past. Tell me you're moving back here, please. I'm not. What are we going to do? Do you masturbate still? Or? I, you know, I, actually, I would you ask do. you. Would you mind if I actually borrow a couple bucks? I just thought when you came over my house... It was to hang out. So we both did poop and bags that, that and that all your guys. That, we did a lot of things that we did not do. We did do that. 
Want to get gaming? Yeah, son. Not like it used to be. Let's go. Time out. Time out. I feel like the painkillers are starting to set in. So are you the Peter or the Donald in this relationship? Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm probably the Donald, aren't I? When you think back about high school like you often do, do you think of yourself as the Donald <laughs> or the Peter? Um, I literally have a high school friend who is on his way here right now. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, when I think back, I mean, well, I'm I'm the Donald because I left. Or I'm the Peter because I left. Oh, right. You're uh, the slick uh, Wall Street honcho. C'est moi. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I would say, yeah, I'm definitely the peeper. The peeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to deny it. about that. That is my thing. Um, and yourself? Uh, I am the Peter. I think you're more of a Peter than I am because I could see you, even though you love Ohio and would never say you don't like the way you feel when you go back. No, you, I... You don't also don't have, like, nostalgia. Like, you wouldn't... Would you want to live there again? Uh, I would think about it. I would you consider, would consider it. it. Yeah. Are you just saying that I have loyalty to Heidi? No, no. <laughs> Everyone has a Donald. But... Um... Heidi's, Heidi's that rare Donald who's also a Peter. <laughs> <laughs> She's a uh, Donald and a Peter in the streets. <laughs> Sorry to make jokes about oh. friends you may or may not know. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so your imaginations go wild. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Do you feel like so you feel like Peter when you go home? <laughs> no, I mean, like I, I, I feel like you know. I think that anybody who's ever anyone who's come from like a small town or a suburb and then moved to a city, um, you know, this is something that I always enjoy in films, whether it's this, Garden you know, State. whether it's Young Adult, whether it's just Friends, no, right? Um, you know, I enjoy a story about, um, you know, somebody going back to their roots. Um, so that it's, 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 it's fertile material. Um, speaking of fertile, this movie has a lot of extreme Volvo close-ups. Oh yeah. Uh, of a photo, of a photo. Yes. Donald in his, uh, Arrested Development still sleeps with a giant photo from like a, a pornography star taped to the ceiling of his bedroom. And it's a close-up of literally a spread Volvo. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, 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 and it's shown, uh, in, in close up very plainly. Um, so that is, that was something I was not prepared to see. So, I mean, that, that speaks to who Donald is. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's really on the verge of not being an adult man. Um, he lives with his parents still. (laughs) I was picturing that 90s bedroom. (laughs) You crawl up into that loft and it's just right there blanking at you. (laughs) Signed. No less. (laughs) Um... Sorry. I, I mean, you you start out. I think you know with a lot of these movies, you 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 come with Peter, um, and you you really feel his frustration. He lost his wallet. He needs to just get back home. He's here to run an errand because his grandmother died, and he needs to like sell the house and pick up the ashes. Mm-hmm. Um, he's stuck, and he has to depend on Donald to help him. Yes, and he is tethered entirely because uh, mm-hmm. he he is he has nothing else. There's nothing else he can do. He is one hundred percent dependent on Donald to get him around, uh, to even give him money. And this is the thing that, one of the things I like about the movie is that Peter is a dick. He is, Peter yeah. is not someone that you like, necessarily. Uh, so this movie doesn't have, like, a like a good guy and a bad guy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have, like, oh, Peter's our likable protagonist and Donald's this wacky antagonist. Like, they will both make you uncomfortable in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in that way, I feel like I'm a Peter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're his. You're his brand of cringe. Yes, <laughs> got it. I can see that. I I'm can terrible. See that. Right, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and you also wear your hair similarly. Actually, oh, thank you. Yeah, I like it's this a very, hair. it's very, it's very, it's very chic. Uh, uh, so there's if that. If only I grew it out. 
So, and that's speaking of hair, um, when they, when Donald first makes his entrance in this film, I was very pessimistic um, because he looks like a hipster nightmare. He really does. And I think they, 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 they've miscalibrated the styling of this character somewhat because, mm-hmm. well, they might think, oh, like, what's the most, like, hapless sad loser looking way an adult man could look what they have done they've made it well really air quotes here cool guy yeah. who would like go work at the local concert shop and like yeah. maybe be arrested in the way that he, he looks... still dates like 18 year old girls and like yeah. gets drunk all the time but like has like music knowledge or you know that kind of like yeah. hipster uh, he, douche he looks ironic yes it, it all like the glasses look ironic like the the amateur the sort of like the um uh the weird like scissor chop choppy asymmetrical haircut with a with, with a mullet. Of, with the mullet looks that especially is such like most I mean like I think this this has kind of gone away in some ways this 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 the peak peak hipster as of like six seven years ago yeah this would have been unquestionably the way you would see like half the guys in the room looking if mm-hmm. you were out at certain bars and like the mission or wherever. Um, and so it's so when you first see him, you're like, oh man, this is just going to be some sort of. I keep trying to think of what movie this character was in. I want to at first I thought it was Napoleon Dynamite, but now, oh, yeah. <laughs> but now I'm thinking it's Ghost that World. Was... Oh yeah, like that guy who like keeps showing up with the nunchucks yeah, yeah, at yeah. the convenience yeah, store. Yeah, that's it. This like exactly what it really, what Donald that's the looks same like. Look. Yeah. Um, also, fun fact: the actor who plays Donald both wrote and directed this film. He did. Uh, so triple threat. <laughs> I think his that. name is Chris Evadisian. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so that, but but then fortunately, the character was not meant to be, the character is not that kind of capital C character. Um, like I felt like uh, there was, what plays out of the course of the film is very, very naturalistic mm-hmm. yeah. and very believable. And, um, and there's a lot of really heartbreaking details about Donald that we pick up along the way that are revealed in disarming ways mm-hmm. that feel very true to like how these conversations with people go where there's sort of these off-the-cuff remarks where so much is is given away in this kind of completely casual manner mm-hmm. um so i thought that was extremely effective yeah i th- i think that and that helps along a lot with the peter character as well who is such an asshole but mm-hmm. um it starts to starts to empathize and feel feel bad for donald and you get some some backstory yeah, about some guilt where they were when they grew up and how close they were and how i think as peter started to kind of grow up and maybe start to try to shed that he really threw donald under the bus and embarrassed him and wasn't yeah. a good friend and, and well donald sort of tirelessly wanted wanted to hold on to their friendship and, and keep things the way that they were in high school. Um, yeah. So that part's like there's that, that scene they go visit one of their old friends and the old friend like is, is not, you know, Donald thinks he's going to be so happy to see Peter and then mm-hmm. he sees Peter and he's like, you remember when you like did this thing to Donald? Right. And he cried like that was mm-hmm. your, your dick. I would, I would punch you in the face. Yeah. Um, what this movie actually remind me of a lot um, is the movie The Gift starring Jason Bateman and Joel Edgerton that Joel Edgerton also directed. Mm, I haven't seen it. Um, it's really good. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's a somewhat similar setup, um, except for it's done as like a, a really intense thriller uh, where this kind of, you know, this Jason Bateman plays this character who's moved back to his sort of like hometown with his wife. And then this kind of like old friend kind of oddball shows up out of the woodwork and keeps like infiltrating their lives and showing up places where they are. And it seems like just like a goofball. 
Um, but then like this whole past of like Jason Bateman having been like very like vicious to him in high school starts to emerge. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's so fucking good. If you haven't seen the gift, it was, a, it was a really big sort of critical sleeper hit when it came out. It came out like, I, I want to say like a year and a half ago. Okay. Um, so this is somewhat similar, uh, you know, in that we have this guy who's like this presumed, um, protagonist, but then we find out that like, yeah, that he was a dick. We see him, he's a dick now. Right. And he has no shame at all. And, uh, you know, and he's just sort of being confronted, um, in almost a karmic way. Yeah. Um, I mean, even at the beginning, he, you know, he loses his wallet and nobody helps him out. Like, no, clearly he has not made connections with people sort mm-hmm. of at all. Like no one's, no one's there for him. Mm-hmm. So he's really not built any bridges in his adult life either. Um, which is kind of just a, a mirror to what he, to his relationship, uh, with Donald. I think that the fact that we, we've been able to say like this movie is a lot like these other movies. The setup is very, I mean, very familiar and mm-hmm. not very fresh, but I was, I went, and so, I was surprised at how much it. I was able to be invested in it and mm-hmm. let it take me on on the ride that it did. Yes, um, and and it's also it's such an interesting thing when you sit down and watch a movie where you know literally no one in it. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen any of these actors before in my life. I don't think they've done anything else. Yeah, um, and uh, but they were all. I mean, like the performances are all completely convincing, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and they absolutely you like you believe all the characters, and um, and it's hard to even like what even what genre would you say this is? Uh comedy i don't know i know like it's kind of a comedy like big picture but like it's so sad yeah and it has so many hard moments and so many like really sort of like piercing moments and not a lot of laugh moments yeah yeah the the very beginning has a has a bit of a laugh moment um but uh a lot of it reminded me of american honey too Mm. there's that part where they go to this like uh he he meets up with this girl from high school and they go to this cancer benefit in this like I don't know. What do you call those? Like public halls? Yeah, no, it's like, like, a, like VFW a VFW hall VFW. kind of mm-hmm. thing. And you and there's a lot of like shots of the crowd and people. And it's just like so interesting to watch that. Um, it completely right. does not look like a movie. It looks like a documentary yeah, of your really hometown's right, like the community boot, center. Like, like the boot part from American Honey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the boot scoot yeah. part of American Honey. Um, so it just felt very naturalistic. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a unique, you know, achievement. And it does, yeah, to your point, it does feel very familiar. It will, will remind you of a lot of other movies. Um, but it does, it, it makes the story its own. And I feel like I will remember these two characters. Like, I feel like I will remember Pete and Donald. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, like, they both make really vivid dimensional impressions. Uh, the, you know, both the acting, the writing, um, it comes through. I can't wait for this director to get the uh, keys to make the next Godzilla. <laughs> Bringing it back. What are you going to rate this one? Oh, uh, you know, this one, I, you know, I was, it's, uh, I think this is a binge minus for me as well. Same. Like, Same. so it's so funny that I have like these two binge minuses and that you're like with me on this being a binge minus, but mm-hmm. I just can't quite spring for full pick of the week. Yeah. Because like, I wouldn't like, I wouldn't necessarily, because it is so familiar that I wouldn't be like, oh, this is totally fresh. You got to see it. Um, but it is like a really strong character piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would give it the same. And uh, it's an unrated movie. Um, is it out for rental right now as well? Uh, no, I don't think it's on VOD. I think it's uh, I think it's uh, in in a, a limited theatrical run for now. Excellent. Uh, that's it. Those are our movies this week. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Jason is on Twitter excess baggage Mm -hmm. and i'm fight balance and um thank you so much for listening bye guys bye-bye
Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.